Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, uh, today we're going to bring to a conclusion our sermon series that's kicking off the Flourish Initiative here at Community of Hope. So if you haven't already, grab your Bible or your COH app or your notes or however you follow along in the message. Go ahead, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. And here's where we've been. Just a brief recap if you are clicking in with us. First, uh, we began this whole series. The theme verse is from Acts 12, 24. It's not on the screen, but it's going to be in your notes. It's going to be on the bookmark. You're going to get on the way out if you're here in person, where it talks about how the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And that is really the whole crux and the summary of the entire book of Acts of the increasing spreading and growing and flourishing of the movement of God and how our church wants to be a part of that. In week one of our series, Pastor Dale kicked us off and he talked about wherever the word of God, wherever the Bible is honored, things flourish. And he talked about how against all odds, God's primary way that he's chosen to get his work done in the world is through the local church. And I know what you're thinking, like, God, you couldn't have come up with a better plan than that. We are God's plan A to bring flourishing and life and health and healing into the world. In week two, he talked about the importance of vision. In week three, we talked about how it's going to take all of us together and how resources, generosity help impact us moving forward for that. Last week, Jessica preached, and didn't she do a knockout job? Wasn't it amazing? Man, and Jessica talked about, this was so convicting, and I think such a timely word for our culture, where um, people are infatuated with themselves these days and having main character energy, and what if we learned that our life wasn't about me, or that your life wasn't about you, that you aren't the main character of your story, but what if we threw our lives into the story of God and lived for something bigger than any of us as an individual, and learning to find our part in God's story and finding community of hope's part in the story of God in human history and how the gospel came from a ragtag group of disciples in Jerusalem to 2,000 years later. Here we are in South Florida across an ocean on the other side of the world. How did this happen and how is it continuing to still happen? I encourage you to go back and watch that on YouTube or podcast or however you listen to stuff later. And so today we're going to be bringing our series to an end and I want to start today with endings. I want to start today with endings. Now, I want you, if you're sitting by somebody, whether you know them or not, I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to share to them, share with them your favorite ending to a story. It could be a book, it could be a movie, it could be a TV show, whatever it is. I'm going to give you 20 seconds if you're online, talk to somebody you're with, or put it in the chat if you're alone. 20 seconds, go. Favorite ending to a story, go. Lots of laughter I hear. Good, 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 good. All right. Whole lot of laughing. Hope you guys online are having fun. All right, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. I want to share with you some of my favorite endings to stories. Um, it's best when you have a microphone on and there's a TV here. It's best to talk about movies. So I'll talk about some of my favorite movie endings uh, that I have. So um, I'm a big movie buff. Where's my movie nerds in the room? 
Yep, great. Okay, cool. So my favorite movie endings. Let me start first with a superhero movie. Now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're struggling just a little bit to make movies right now. But for a whole decade, all action movies and all superhero movies were combined really into one genre. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe took 21 movies to climax in Avengers Endgame. And the ending to this movie, yeah, nerds unite. Sweet. Yeah, all right. So... This ending to this movie, oh my gosh, it was so great. People, and if you saw it in theaters, especially before the pandemic, people cheered, people screamed, people laughed, people cried. It was an incredible ending to a movie. I won't spoil it for you. Now, but these aren't the only movies that I like. Everyone knows here that I'm a little bit of a nerd, but I like other things too. Like, I am actually sophisticated. I do like chick flicks as well. Where's my chick flick fans in the room? Don't take away my man card. Don't take away my man card. Now... Um, I believe the greatest chick flick ever created, hands down, is You've Got Mail. Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's right. Amen, Pastor Trevor. Exactly. If you think there was a better ending to any chick flick than Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan with Summer Over the Rainbow in Central Park, I will fight you in the parking lot after church. I will do it. Okay, so maybe it's not like a chick flick. Maybe it's a different genre altogether. Kids movies. I got four kids. I'm watching kids movies all the time. I love the ending to Cars. Oh, it's so good. It's so heartwarming how this selfish, self-centered race car come, chooses to come in last place at the end so he can push someone else across the finish line. Oh my gosh, it's so great. It's so beautiful. I love it. It's so good. No, it's just almost Christmas time. It's almost Christmas time, so it's Christmas movie. So I want to know, what's your favorite Christmas movie, movie, and why is it It's a Wonderful Life? That's right. I did, I did an informal poll in the room before service started, and only half of everybody in the room had even seen It's a Wonderful Life. America's going down the tubes, everybody. We got to pray for America, Okay. So It's a Wonderful Life is one of the best endings to any Christmas movie ever. It's so heartwarming. If you don't get choked up at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, you're dead on the inside. boy, Clarence. You just, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. So I want to start today with talking about endings. And I want to take you to the greatest ending ever told, which is still unfolding. I want to take you to the ending, to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and how the story of human civilization, it's the story of God's redemptive work in the world, comes to a glorious conclusion. We're going to be reading today from the book of Revelation, and chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. Sir, if you're able, would you please stand? I don't know, maybe if you're online and you're at home, stand with us too. Now, if you're in Starbucks, that might be weird. Don't do that. But, you know, stand if you're able and if it's appropriate. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. And this is how the story concludes. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. 
the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever. And this is the word of God for the people of God. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, Lord, would you open your word here today and speak to our hearts about this glorious end and your vision for life and human flourishing. Inspire us, speak to us, change us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So um, it is a little risky and a little tricky whenever you're a preacher and you decide to speak from the book of Revelation. Um, because uh, let's be honest, for the past three years, our world has been, you wake up in the morning, you open up your phone and say, well, what chapter of the apocalypse is today? <laughs> um, and it's tricky to speak from this. Um, Dr. John Lennox, who is a brilliant Oxford professor, he's a mathematician and bioethicist, one of the most um, brilliant people on the face of the planet and just a devout, loving Christ follower, talks about the book of Revelation. He says a lot of Christians are afraid to take it seriously because of its deep symbolism. And he says that Christians should approach it because it can be a wonderful gift and we have to avoid a couple pitfalls. We have to resist the urge to ignore it because it's confusing, full of a lot of symbolism. And we also have to resist the urge to join the lunatic fringe of people who abuse the book of Revelation, too. And so we want to aspire to be a type of church where, man, this is in the Bible. It's important. It's inspired by God that we believe. We're not going to ignore it, and we're not going to join the lunatic fringe about it. Amen? Great. Um, so this is important. I mean, if you want to know really the purpose of the book of Revelation, yes, it's apocalyptic in literature and in genre. Yes, it's about the end of all things. Yes, it's about the end of the story. Here's really what the book of Revelation is all about. And I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure you may have ever heard this before. I know it took me a long time, my Christian journey to hear about this. Really what the book of Revelation is about is about helping form countercultural followers of Jesus. If you want to live in a countercultural way, if you think, um, if you want to live against the grain of the way that the world is going and how everything is decaying and moving into chaos and destruction and death and pain and suffering and immorality, all these things, you want to learn how to live a different way than the insanity of the world, you should read Revelation. Because this is who it's written to. It's written to Christ followers across the past 2,000 years who are living as a persecuted minority and how to stand firm for the way, the truth, and the life that's found in Jesus in the midst of that. And that's a word for us today. And so here we are in Revelation at the very end of the Bible. And there's this beautiful, magnificent tree at the end of the story. Now, trees in the Bible probably are the single most used symbol for spiritual truth in all of scripture from beginning to end. Um, in fact, if you do a quick word search on trees, branches, fruit, roots, anything around trees, necessarily there are 811 references in just a rough English word search in the Bible. 811 references to things around trees and tree life in the Bible. It is a massive symbol from beginning to end. So let's zoom out. And let's get a 30,000-foot view, and let me take you on a magical mystery tour about the importance of trees in the Bible. So the Bible begins in Genesis 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden. At the center of the garden is a tree called the Tree of Life. Now, these illustrations are taken from our friends at the Bible Project. They have an incredible video on YouTube around this. I encourage you to check out. 
At the center of the Garden of Eden is the tree of life. And it represents God's life and God's presence and God's power. And it's readily available to all human beings. And they're invited to come and eat from the fruit of the tree of life. They're literally invited to ingest God's life force. He invites them to come eat from it. Now, but we also know that there are not just one tree in the garden, but there are two trees in the garden. There's the tree of life and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is a false tree of life. Now, people think it's the tree of knowledge. No, knowledge isn't bad. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's experiential knowledge of good and evil, which really symbolizes us being able to define good and evil on our own accord and on my own terms. I'm going to choose what's right or wrong and be my own God. And so from the very beginning, humanity is given a choice between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to live for God's vision for human flourishing and life or to be able to name it on our own. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose to go at their own and brought death and destruction upon the human race. And human beings have been doing that ever since. I know I've chosen to go my own way before. I've eaten from the wrong tree instead of God's way and God's tree before. Haven't we all? So fast forward, humanity keeps making these cyclical choices over and over and over again. And then we meet a man named Moses who meets God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. There it is again. A burning bush, yeah. It's a desert tree that's infused with the life and power of God's presence. There it is again. And he invites, the, he invites Moses to bring the people of God to this mountain where again he'll offer them a choice between life and death, between God's vision and going their own way and their own vision. Sometimes they choose God's way. Sometimes they choose their own way to destructive ends. And then the cycle repeats over and over and over and over and over again until you get to the New Testament and enters the scene of Jesus. When Jesus comes, he announces that God's life is now readily available to all once again. Jesus envisions himself as the tree of life. He invites people to eat from him, to trust him, to experience his life force flowing through him. He is the tree of life. But again, he exposes humanity's choice to choose God's way or our own way. And once again, humanity chose their own way. And they led Jesus up on top of a hill and crucified him upon a tree where he died our death for our choices, for our sin, for our ways, for our waywardness. But this isn't how the story ends. Jesus walked through death and conquered death by death itself and God vindicated him by resurrecting him from the dead. And now that anybody who comes and eats from the tree of life that is found in Jesus and comes to a transformed tree of death who's become a tree of life in the cross of Jesus Christ, you can experience eternal life in him forevermore, which takes us to Revelation 22, where there is, again, the tree of life at the center of the paradise of God with a river of life flowing from the throne in the heart of God. From beginning to end, it's all about trees, everybody. And your life is about trees. Now let's go to Revelation 22, verse 2. So on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. I mean, this is just an incredible symbol. It doesn't bear crops once a year. It does it every single month. It has medicinal purposes, apparently. 
that will also heal the entire world. This is God's vision for human flourishing. Now, what I want to tell you today, and this is super important, this is not something that you have the opportunity to experience at the end of all time. But by a miracle of grace, Jesus of Nazareth makes this experience available, available for people right now. Look at Jesus' words here in John 10. Jesus says, the thief, which is a symbol for spiritual forces of darkness in the world, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus hasn't come to put a couple drops of life in your cup. He's come to cause your cup to overflow with life and goodness and mercy. You want an overflowing cup? You should come sit at Jesus' table. John 17, Jesus says this. Now, this is eternal life. Oh, at the end of time, when after I've died, when I'm in heaven. No, 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 no. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that you can live right now. You can experience eternal life right now, right now in his name. So what does that mean? Well, let's parse this out and let's spell this out a little bit. God's vision for human flourishing, first off, it's personal. It's personal. It's meant for you as an individual. If you go back to Revelation chapter 2, again, magical mystery tour all across Scripture. Even the same book of Revelation, Jesus said this, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he's talking to the one. This is meant to be a promise to individuals who listen to him, who follow him, who walk in his ways. He'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. This is mirrored in Psalm 1. Check this out. This is a prayer. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now check this out. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wow. Um, If you're here in the room or if you're streaming locally, you know we had some pretty bad windstorms earlier this week. Was it Wednesday or Thursday morning when it was really bad? Wednesday? Yeah, something like that. Um, It was so bad that we had power out at our house for multiple hours on Wednesday morning. And I have, uh, I have oak trees in my front yard, and I remember Steve, uh, Steve from NBC, the channel here in town, saying how um, it was like tropical forest winds that we experienced. And I have oak trees in my front yard, and there was like yard debris everywhere. Anybody else had to do some yard cleanup this week? Yep. So I brought some of it with me for show and tell. And, um, and uh, I have all these, these dried twigs. And leaves, I'm um, leaving yard trash. Sorry, Keith. I have all these leaves and dry stuff. All dry and dead. They crumble and these, these twigs, oops. <laughs> all this dry stuff, like leaves and branches that wither, they don't have life flowing in them. I'm come here to say to somebody today who's either streaming online or is here in this room today. I wonder if you feel dry. I wonder if you feel like you're withering. I wonder if you feel like you're empty. 
that your tank is low, and that you need life. And what Jesus promises to people, especially for somebody who's new, maybe navigating faith, maybe somebody invited you here today, listen to the promise that's found in Jesus. If you come to him, you don't have to feel empty anymore. If you come to him, you don't have to have your tank running low anymore. If you come to him and you need life, Jesus promises anybody who comes to him life and life to the full. And it's available for you. That's why I became a Christ follower. When I was a kid, um, I experienced, when we moved to Florida, we tried to jump around to churches. And my parents were doing their best to do the right thing, and we just couldn't connect anywhere, and I hated church. It was so boring. Nobody explained anything. There's pictures of Jesus holding lambs everywhere, and that confused me. <laughs> Who has a pet lamb? I don't understand. It was just weird. And, um, man, I just didn't connect with it, and then we, we didn't go to church for a little bit. And then uh, through a series of events, my parents went to a church to give it one more shot and brought me and my brother, and this was different. And the way people talked about God made sense. And the kids they had in their, the, the teachers that they had in their children's ministry and their kids of hope, when they would teach the Bible, first off, it made sense to me. But when I opened it up, I felt something inside of me. I felt life coming into me, even as a kid. And I felt life in my mom and life in my dad and life in my brother. I'm like, I feel better when I'm around these people, when I'm leaning in and learning about this. So eventually I learned that what I was feeling was the presence of God. What I was feeling was the nearness of Jesus saying, Trevor, come to me. Come to me, Trevor. If you want life, you can have it to the full if you invite me in. And in 1995, I did. And from 1995 to 2023, it's only gotten better. And you can have life too. God's vision for human flourishing, it's personal for you if you allow him in. Well, it's not just personal. God's vision for human flourishing, it's also communal. It's meant to be communal. So again, it's all over scripture. Let's go back to some of Jesus' words. This is in John 15. More tree and more branch language. I'm the vine, you are the branches. There it is again. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll be so full of life, it'll be popping out of you. You will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, here's where English fails us. Because if you're talking in a pronoun, a second-person pronoun that's singular to somebody, like if I'm talking to Leah, I'll say you. But in English, if I want to talk to Leah and Dale and Beth, I'll also say you. Right? Hello? Yes? Okay. Okay, great. Now, um, but in the South, we fixed this. We fixed this with duct tape on the English language, baby. What is the second person pronoun that's plural in the South? Y'all, that's right. So I have done a favor to the Bible, and I've mangled the English Bible to become the Loxahatchee International Version. And so let, let me read this again for you all. That's grammatically correct. I hope nobody from my seminary is watching. Okay. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the vine. And this is how it is in the Greek. I'm the vine. Y'all are the branches. 
if y'all remain in me and I in y'all, y'all will bear much fruit, y'all. And apart from me, y'all can do nothing. Right? Yeah. You're welcome, world. This is why America's better than England. Again, yeah, anyway. Gosh, I'm sorry. Oh, help me help, Lord, help me help my stupid self. Anyway. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's communal. It's meant to be a community. In America, in our Western world, we think it's all about me and all about you. It's not. It's about us. I brought another thing from my yard. So um, this, um, there's debate about what type of flower this is. Um, it's not a birds of paradise, but it's from that family. It's a parrot flower, according to Bethlehem. I cannot believe I remembered that. Okay. Um, and I have a million of these in my yard. And it's kind of cool. It kind of looks like our flourish logo, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is real. I literally pulled it out of my yard this morning. It's not plastic. And I have a million of these things. Now, what's fascinating about this is if you only plant like two or three of them, eventually it spreads and it takes over your whole garden. It's crazy. And it's not because they're each individually planted. Um, if you really dig it up, pull it up, they're all connected underground together. It's one organism that just spreads. And this is somehow God created plant life in the world. Do you want to know what the largest living organism in the world is? It's a tree, but it's a tree system called Pando that exists in Utah. That is one tree. It covers 106 acres. It presents itself as 40,000 individual trees underground, one living organism. Incredible. This is what church is meant to be. One living organism expressed in many different ways. It's meant to be communal. God's vision for human flourishing is that God's community would grow and spread and that we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one and that whenever anybody wants to join in this community, they would be connected to the life and the heart of God and that their lives would flourish and their family's life would flourish and our community would flourish, our church would flourish and that everything would flourish that any local church and maybe even by God's grace, ours here community, anything our little community would touch would flourish and be full of life and life to the full. It's not just communal. It's also global. God's vision of human flourishing, it's global. Back to our passage, Revelation 22. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. There it is, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree are the, for the healing of the nations. If you have opened the news in the past several months, and you see of all the pain in the world, from wildfires that burned a whole, a whole city down outside of Maui, to Israel and Hamas and Palestine, to Ukraine and Russia, 
to terrible um, dictators in the world oppressing people to horrible injustice and crushing poverty and the scourge of human trafficking in the world. If you've ever looked out upon any of that and said, God, what are you doing? God is invading a dark and broken world with a kingdom that belongs to his son, Jesus Christ, and has come with healing for the nations. God, what are you doing? He's trying to plant a tree in the middle of a broken world that will renew all things. It's meant to touch lives. It's meant to touch communities. It's meant to touch the nations. It's personal. It's communal. It's global. And when people, hear me, when people are gripped by God's vision of human flourishing, history changes. When people let go of their vision of flourishing for their life and their dreams and their aspirations and they are gripped by God's dream for the world that ends with a tree and a river and healing and life and wholeness, it changes how you live. It changes how you spend your time. It changes how you spend your energy. It changes how you spend your resources. It changes everything. Let me tell you a story. How many of you ever heard of this guy here? Humphrey Monmouth. No? I didn't think so. Um, This guy's so not known, you can't even find a picture of him anymore. There's no picture of him. I Googled it. And uh, he's been, in a lot of ways, largely forgotten by history. But he was a partner with a guy named William Tyndale. We've talked about him in church before. William William Tyndale was the man who first um, trailblazed translating the Bible into English, and it cost him his life. Here's the backstory: William Tyndale was a preacher in London, and Humphrey Monmouth was he was um, a cloth a cloth merchant and an extremely successful businessman, and hated going to church. And he went to church one day when William Tyndale was preaching, and he liked it. So he took William Tyndale out to lunch at a pub in London and said, you are the only preacher in all of London who doesn't make me fall asleep on Sunday morning. Sound familiar? <laughs> and uh, they began to talk, and William Tyndale shared with him his vision, his frustration of how the corrupt religious system at that time was just holding people in spiritual apathy and how London was spiritually asleep and backslidden from God because they couldn't understand the Bible because the Bible was in Latin and only the hyper-rich and educated understood Latin. It's like in the religious system at the time forbade it from being in a language that people would understand. And he wanted to translate in English. And Humphrey Mumma said to William Tyndale, well, if you do that, you mean you could be like burned for being a heretic for that. And William Tyndale said, I don't care. My dream is that a boy who's using a plow in a field in England would know more of the Bible than these corrupt religious leaders who hold it back from everybody. And Humphrey here, what a great name, by the way, (laughs) bought into the vision. And he got gripped by God's vision of human flourishing of what would happen if people were able to read the Bible in their own language and that it would bring awakening and revival and change to, to not just London, but to England. And so this businessman became William Tyndale's patron. 
He had him live in his house for six months and paid him to translate the English Bible. And after he translated the English Bible, they had to have it printed. So he used his business connections and his ships and his merchants to then have it printed in mainland Europe and then smuggled back into England. And because of his contributions and because of his vision, his strategy in working together with William Tyndale, six million English people were introduced to the Bible and their language. And we are here today reading the Bible in English because of this gospel patron who caught a vision of something deeper in life. You see, when people catch God's vision for human flourishing, it can change history. And just like in all the trees of the rest of the Bible, there's a choice before us today. Choose God's vision or go with whatever culture is trying to tell you what the good life is. And we live in the American dream where I want to have a nice house and a nice car, nice vacations, have a nice job, have a fun retirement, grow old, healthy, die easy, don't go to hell. Did it. (laughs) I'm like, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. I'm not dunking on any of that. I don't know about you. I want to live for something more than just nice. Don't you? I want to live for a vision of life that costs me something that could maybe bring healing to the nations and be an offering to Jesus of Nazareth. Going, Lord, I live my life for your vision and not mine. Come bring flourishing to the world through my little life and through our little vineyard here at our church. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, we thank you that you did not abandon the world into darkness, but you kept sending your light into the world, and you most clearly sent your light in your son Jesus. Or he died upon a tree for our sake so that we could come and eat from the tree of life that's found in him. Lord, would you give us as a people of community of hope in this little part of your vineyard, this little part of your system bringing healing to the world, Give us a vision to not live for nice, comfortable lives, but give us a vision for human flourishing for ourselves, for our church, for our community, and even for the world that would be sacrificial and worth sacrificing for. Come and do it, God. Do it once again, even in our day. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said. So I have a feeling in the room uh, right now that God is uh, breaking things off of people. And uh, you've come discouraged and you've come broken. And I feel that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit right now, is just breaking that from you. And what I would want you to do is uh, receive it. In Jesus' name. So if that's you, if you've been fighting a battle, if you're broken in grief or addiction, uh, if you have resigned yourself and set a vow over yourself that sounds like this, this is how it will always be. 
God is saying no to that right now in Jesus' name. And what I would want you to do is just receive it. Just say, Lord, I receive it. There's hope. You're not done. You're doing more. You're doing still. You're doing again. Um, what a word. What a word, right? Um, now to him. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. I don't know about you. I can imagine a lot. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Do it, Lord, do it to your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Go in his peace. We'll see you next weekend.